we are once again coming together for a talk in the TGSS series. This time, we welcome um, Kirill Alexeyev from St. Petersburg University. And for those of you who don't know about Kirill, he's a senior assistant professor at the Department of Mongolian Studies and Technology in St. Petersburg. And he has a wide ranging uh, research uh, interest and portfolio including um, the study and text uh, critical analysis of Mongolian Buddhist canon texts, as well as the history of the Tibeto-Mongolian interface spanning from the 13th to 17th century. And he's also a co-author of various databases. Um, for instance, the interactive database of Mongolian Tibetan Buddhist terms and the Mongolian Golden Kanjur, an interactive database. Today, he is going to present us with the Mongolian Kanjur, explains a few uh, minutes what's the main difference uh, to the Tibetan uh, one, and then presents latest findings that may or may not uh, engage us Tibetologists to care more about the Mongolian Kanjur. Kirill, welcome. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. And uh, also for the chance to see some good old friends because usually we manage to meet here or there at some international conferences, uh, but not the last year, of course. So it's good to see you safe and sound in these uh, difficult times. Uh, well, now to the Ganjur. I'll turn on my presentation. And uh, I think turn off my camera just not to distract everybody from it. So, uh, the Mongolian Ganja. It is a collection of uh, sacred Buddhist texts structured in a specific way. Surely, it was modeled after some Tibetan sets or sets of a similar kind. And this is why in the secondary literature, it is quite often represented uh, as a mere translation of the Tibetan Kanjur and usually overlooked by Tibetologists. In fact, uh, it, is a far more, it is a far more complicated phenomenon and maybe, well, <laughs> just maybe, it can even be useful for the scholars of the Tibetan Kanjur. Uh, which I hope to demonstrate tonight. Before we get to the point of this talk, which is why the scholars of the Tibetan canon should consider Mongolian Ganjo, I'm bound to begin with some preamble to remind you a couple of things about the Tibetan Ganjo, which may be useful for our discussion, and uh, to give you a rough idea of the Mongolian collection. As you definitely know, the term Ganjo literally means words of the Buddha in translation. Together with the Tanjur, which is roughly the collection of uh, commentarial literature, it constitutes the so-called Tibetan Buddhist canon. But we must bear in mind that, first of all, words of the Buddha or Buddha Vachana in Sanskrit 
are understood by the Buddhist tradition in a very broad sense and uh, represented by the texts of all three strains, mainstream or Hinayana, Mahayana and Vajrayana. Uh, and this host of texts uh, was translated not only from Sanskrit, but also from uh, some other languages. Then, uh, the Kanjur has always been an open collection of texts. Texts could and were edited, omitted and edited for all different reasons. As a result, uh, Tibet has never known a single authorized edition of the Kanjur, only Kanjurs different from each other in their contents and structure, particularly authoritative. Some 30 individual conjures are known today and more continue to be discovered. So speaking of the Tibetan Ganjur and similarly later of the Mongolian one, I will use this term as a collective when referring to the concept of a more or less complete collection of saints of the Buddha. The Tibetan Ganjur uh, is the result of a long-term process uh, that went on for more than five centuries uh, through several periods. The so-called earlier diffusion, then a sort of interlude of dark age, and then the later diffusion, until the old uh, Nartang manuscript Ganjur was compiled in the first decades of the 14th century. Uh, what is very important for our today's talk up until the early 14th century and actually beyond, various components of translated collections were transmitted separately. Uh, the general distinction between Kanjur and Kanjur wasn't yet made. That is why Peter Skilling proposed a more accurate term for this period, Katenchur. At some point, similar or related texts were gathered into single volumes. This is attested by the fact that in some extant collections, individual volumes have cartridges or table of contents. Gradually, these volumes were organized into sets. Some texts could be included into several sections and that caused a varying number of duplications and even triplications in the later countries. Uh, an intermediate stage between the collections of imperial times and the fully developed countries can be seen in the group of the so-called proto-countries. These are complete collections of the Buddhist word, but not yet systematically arranged into countries. The time of Mongol and Yuan rule in Tibet was particularly fruitful for the genesis and development of the country. Uh, the available evidence suggests that the production of virtually all large-scale manuscript collections that belonged to the late 13th and early 14th century were carried out through Mongol patronage. The Sakya leaders played great role in this process. Some of these collections were called Kanjus, but as none of them has survived to the present day, their exact nature is unclear. Uh, the old Naptan Ganjur became a conceptual prototype uh, for the later collections. And at present, we are aware of several so-called lines or groups of the Tibetan Ganjurs. None of these lines is pure. They show various degrees of interrelations uh, and conflations uh, according to the various lines of transmission for groups of Ganjurs are generally distinguished. The two main groups, of Tselpaith and Tantama, uh, a mixed group, and a group of local or independent countries. 
And that we must remember that the oldest known conjurers, uh, propagandists as physical entities date from the seventh century. Mangolian translations of Buddhist scriptures began to be made in the late 13th, early 14th centuries under the Yuan dynasty again. Due to the lack of historical and uh, textual data, it is rather problematic to estimate the scale of translation activity during that time. It looks like as previously in Tibet, uh, this early stage uh, reception of the sacred text was going on unsystematically. The following period, from the fall of the Yuan dynasty in 1368 to the second half of the 16th century, is characterized by the decline of literary activity. It was caused by a loss of imperial support and uh, internecine feuds. The growth of the political and cultural activity of the Mongols in the second half of the 17th century also influenced the state of uh, the religion in the Mongol society of the time. Buddhism became uh, instrumental in the process of uh, reinterpretation of the Mongolian political system and uh, the established power mechanisms. This sparked large-scale literary activity uh, with the new translations of Buddhist texts to be made. Mongolian chronicles inform us of a number of Tibetan kanjus, some written in gold, brought to Mongolia as sacred relics by the members of ruling clans. The two Mongolian sources, one chronicle and one polyphon, inform that the entire Mongolian ganju was translated under the Altan Khan's grandson, Namodai Setsan Khagan, uh, in the period from 1602 to 1607. Regrettably, not a single folio of this conjure has survived to the present day, and we don't have any further information about its structure and content. And in fact, we have no real idea what exactly the authors of these two Mongolian sources may have intended by the term conjure. It could be merely an ensemble of translated texts purporting to represent words of the Buddha. The oldest text in recension of the Mongolian Ganjo of 113 volumes was completed uh, in 1628, 1629, under the patronage of the last old Mongolian Khan Ligdon. And again, as in the Yuan time, uh, the Sakya monks participated in this work. The translation and editorial work was crowned by production of a special manuscript written in gold on a blue background, which is referred to in the original Mongolian sources and in the secondary literature as uh, the Golden Manjur. At present, uh, 20 volumes of this manuscript are preserved in the Academy of Social Sciences of the Mongolia in Court. During the period of the 17th, early 18th centuries, uh, Ligdon's manuscript edition uh, circulated among the Mongols in copies to which attest a number of manuscript fragments preserved to the modern day. Uh, despite the production of the Ganjur, in all components, uh, the alternative translation of the most, most popular texts kept to be made. Thus, for example, we are aware of eight translations of Rashta Sahasrika, five translations of the Vajrashedika, several translations of the Tarpa Shenpo, 
and so on. Later on, uh, one of the copies of the Lichtenskanschur became the basis for yet another edition, at this time xylographic one uh, of uh, 108 volumes, uh, implemented under the auspices of the Tsing dynasty's emperor Kansi in 1717, 1720. Uh, the collection was structured in accordance with one of the earlier Peking uh, editions of the Tibetan Ganges. The missing texts were translated and added to the collection, and the others were translated in new or revised and edited. Uh, in the 40s of the 20th century, uh, Luis Ligeti compiled the catalogue of the block-printed Mongolian Ganjur, which gave the scholars an idea of its content and structure. A substantial amount of work was carried out during the period from the 60s to the 80s by Walter Heisig and my teacher, Professor Kasyaninka. It must be noted that this work was almost exclusively based on the two sources, the block print and the St. Petersburg uh, manuscript Ganjo. Here it is. Uh, it was discovered in 1892 in Inner Mongolia by the brilliant Russian scholar Alexei Pazhnev, who later was engaged uh, in its acquisition by the St. Petersburg University, where it is kept now. Uh, at our university, we have an anecdote, that, uh, a historical one, of course, uh, that in the late 50s, uh, the Indian scholar Raghuvira came out, uh, came to our library with the letter from Khrushchev, who was the head of the state at that time. And this letter appeared to be a permission to make photocopies of anything he wanted in the library. And he had just enough time to copy only the Vinaya section of the Gandhra. Uh, so Heisik examined the Vinaya section with the use of these materials. Here is another folder of this manuscript. It consists of 113 volumes, plus one volume of the catalogue called Narnekeru, uh, which means the sunlight. Uh, and it still remains the only complete manuscript Gandhra in the world. Its catalogue was published in 1993 by Professor Kasyanin. The research demonstrated that, first of all, the structure and contents of the St. Petersburg manuscript didn't correspond to any exact extant Tibetan Gandhra. And it is very unlikely that the Mongolian Ganjo was put together independently from some Tibetan collections. Then, uh, the three basic sources, the manuscript, uh, the Narnikiro catalogue, and the block print didn't correspond to each other. That led scholars to a suggestion that the manuscript uh, is some kind of a draft version written together or maybe even earlier than the Golden Ganjur and the catalog belongs to some other version of the Ganjur that hasn't survived to the present day. Quite an odd picture, isn't it? Uh, too many questions. Uh, the analysis of the Golden Ganjur might help, uh, but it was inaccessible for the scholars from outside China. Then there was quite a long lull in the country studies uh, when the earlier ideas were merely reproduced in the scholarly works. Uh, 
interest in the Mongolian Ganjur was reawakened by Professor Colmer Powlands uh, from the University of Bern by launching in 2011 a project called the Ganjur Colophons in Comparative Analysis. My colleagues and I took part in it, and uh, the main idea of the project was to make the Ganjur Colophons accessible for historical and philological analysis. During the course of this work, the catalogue of the manuscript Kanjo preserved in Ulan Ude was prepared by Jargal Badagarov and Nikolai Tsirimpilov. But anyway, our knowledge of the Mongolian Kanjo remained extremely fragmentary. It was clear that we should st study all the extant copies of the Kanjo, uh, correlations between them and uh, their relation to the Tibetan Ganjos. So for a number of years, my colleague Anna Turanska and I were studying manuscript collections in Mongolia and China. First of all, uh, luckily we managed to get access to the Golden Ganjur, uh, uh, which changed a lot. Almost uh, in parallel with this, Natalia Impolska, let's say, rediscovered in the Institute of Oriental Manuscripts in St. Petersburg, the fragments of the three Ganjurs from Jungaria. And uh, as these fragments were scattered all over Europe, uh, we carried on collecting data in the European libraries after that. So here are, here are the Ganjo sources we managed to examine. This is the Golden Ganjo. 20 volumes preserved, are preserved in the Academy of Social Sciences in Hoopport. The history, uh, the colophon, the contents, the ductus, and the physical features of the manuscript give us a clear indication, if not quite confirmation, that it is the very same golden country of Ligdon Han, uh, produced in 1629. Here is another folio of this manuscript. Uh, then, uh, a number of fragments of three ganjus. One was written in gold, uh, just like the Alton uh, Ganjur Hot, uh, and two so-called black Ganjur. I think in Tibetan studies we call them white Ganjurs because they are written in white paper, and uh, we call them black because they are written in black ink. Uh, and this is the other one. Uh, they were brought to Russian and European libraries from one of the abandoned Jungar monasteries during the 18th century. The Jungar group of manuscripts is definitely connected with the Golden Ganjo. Uh, apart from some common textual characteristic in the foliation, uh, in this uh, Ganjos, in the foliation of all four manuscripts, hundreds are marked with small crosses, as you can see, uh, and scribes wrote their names on the margins. Most resourceful turned out to be the scribe who wrote his name in the Golden Ganjo right under the image of my train. You can see it here. Well, the, the closer to the book, the, the better. The crosses are a characteristic of the old Tibetan manuscripts including those from Dunhuang and Tabo, um, and later as well, but I've never ever met them in any other Mongolian texts. Uh, 
So I believe this manner was borrowed from some Tibetan source. The scribes' autographs on the margins are also absolutely unique for Mongolian manuscript culture. And if you've seen anything like this in Tibetan manuscripts, please tell me. Uh, one volume is preserved uh, in the Copenhagen Royal Library. The collection compiled from several manuscripts, Ganjur, uh, 109 volumes plus three duplicates, uh, is preserved in the Academy of Social Sciences uh, of the Mongolia in Hukot. Uh, in the National Library of Mongolia, uh, there's an interesting collection. Uh, the core of it uh, is the Ganjur, most likely 50 volumes, also collected from different uh, sets of uh, the Ganjur, but also 20 volumes of alternative translations and uh, non-canonical texts like Manikambum and Sundui that just kept together with them. Uh, in Olano there, in the center of oriental manuscripts and uh, silographs, uh, of the Institute for Mongolian Buddhist and Tibetan Studies. There's one more Ganjur, uh, 109 vol volumes, uh, and the electronic catalog was prepared by Jargal Badagarov and Nikolai Sirin Pibut. During the course of our work, uh, we established, a num we, we published a number of articles and prepared a comparative catalog of the Golden Ganjur and uh, the complete edition of the Jungar Golden Fragments. They're almost ready to be published. The, the results uh, of our studies proved that uh, the St. Peter's, Petersburg manuscript is not a draft copy. There are several manuscript copies absolutely identical with it. But at the same time, the so-called Ligdens manuscript uh, version of the Mongolian Ganjo is not homogeneous. Some of its copies reveal structural variations and uh, enclose different, at times, asynchronous translations of the same texts, including translations from the Yuan period. So there are at least two lines uh, within Golan uh, Gangos. One of them includes seemingly more archaic copies stemming directly from the Golden Gangos. Uh, you see, there are still questions, uh, but at least now we know where to look for the answers. Uh, the Narnigeril catalogue turned out to be a real curiosity. First of all, there are at least three copies of it, so it's not some kind of an accidental text. Uh, its introductory part is the abridged translation of the preface to the catalogue of the Van Ligancho. Uh, the Mongolian author added to it several lines about Ligdan Han, and then, similarly to Van Li, uh, the Mongolian text uses uh, Shakyamuni's returning of the wheel as the guiding rubrics, but fills them with, uh, fills this framework with uh, different contents uh, and the arrangement of texts. So it looks like 
something between the Wangli catalog, Golden Ganger, and possibly some ideal Ganger they kept in mind. This is how the stem of the Mongolian Ganger looks now. Uh, I'm not going to touch you with uh, many details and tell you how we came to this picture because of the, of the lack of time, first of all, and because Daniel asked me not to go too deep into textual collation. Just compare it with the picture uh, you've seen before. So now at least we've come to the point of discussion. Uh, what, can, uh, what can interest a Tibetologist in the Mongolian manuscript country? Uh, here, again, I can give you only several examples, examples just to illustrate uh, the picture. And from now on, I'll be speaking exclusively about the Mongolian manuscript country. Uh, first of all, uh, the Mongolian manuscript Ganjur uh, contains uh, translations of alternative, maybe we can call them uh, non-mainstream versions of Tibetan texts and uh, non-canonical works. Uh, for example, the uh, Ashtasahasrika. There are three Tibetan versions of the Sutra characterized by some structural differences from each other. Traditionally, uh, they are referred to as Trenglachen, uh, Zodjan, and Dechen, uh, based on the three ways the name of Shrenika Vatsagotra, a character mentioned by the Buddha in the first chapter of the text, was translated into Tibetan. Of the three versions, Trenglachen uh, is absolutely predominant. It is included uh, in the bulk of the Ganjur editions. The Dechen version is extremely rare. Uh, uh, as far as I know, one, uh, there exists only one copy in the Library of Tibetan Works and Archives uh, in Dharmasala. The Zodjang is quite rare as well. It is included only in three Ganjurs. Uh, the Purdrak Ganjur, an independent manuscript edition created uh, in Western Tibet. Uh, it contains all three versions of the sutra, by the way. And in two manuscripts of uh, the Ten Tenpa Madru group, uh, the London and uh, the Tokyo Ganges. Due to the work of uh, Natalie Impolska, we are aware now of eight Mongolian translations of the Ashtasahasrika. They fall into two groups, five earlier translations, including the one in the Mongolian manuscript Ganjo, uh, roughly of the first half of the 17th century, and three later translations uh, of the second half of the 17th, early 18th century. Natalia proved that the five earliest Mongolian translations of the sutra were based on the Zodjang version. It means that in the first half of the 17th century, this version, which, which is a rarity today, dominated uh, the transmission of the Ashtasahasrika in Mongolia and was later replaced by the widely spread Trangma Chan. Uh, then the Zanlun translated into Tibetan from Chinese and into Mongolian from Tibetan. There are two versions of the sutra in the Tibetan language. Uh, one consists uh, of 
51 chapter, and the other one has an extra chapter, the story of Prince Sujatan. Uh, the first one is a sort of mainstream text included in almost all Tibetan Tanjus. The second one, uh, apart from several separate manuscripts, uh, uh, and I think two manuscripts and one block printed edition, uh, is included only in the Phugtrak and London Tanjus. In Phugtrak Tanjur, uh, the Sujata Jataka is the seventh chapter. And in, London in the London manuscript, uh, it is the last uh, 52nd chapter. The Mongolian Ganjur includes the 52 chapter version of the sutra, and uh, the extra tale is the seventh chapter, as in the Kuk uh, Drak Tanjur. The next text uh, is the Ashtadarshan the so-called Sutra of the Eight Illuminators. Um, it is a translation of popular of, of a popular Chinese Tarani Sutra. Uh, and even in the Chinese Buddhist tradition, it is considered to be apocryphal because it contains some Taoist elements. Its Tibetan translations were found already amongst the Dunhuang fragments. Uh, it's the abridged version. Only about 25% of the Dunhuang texts uh, length is included in the Tibetan Gangers of the Tsalpa group and some canonical collections from Western Tibet. The first Mongolian translation of the sutra was published under the Yuan, and the Mongolian Ganger contains the complete uh, version of the text, not the abridged one. I have a suspicion that several more texts in the Mongolian Gantra could be the translations of some alternative versions of the Tibetan text, but this work is still in progress. A very interesting example of a non-canonical text included in the Mongolian Gantra has two titles, and uh, you can see them. I'm not going to touch you, touch you with my pronunciation of uh, that language. And, uh, it is usually uh, represented in the secondary literature as the history of the cycle of birth and death. Uh, the text was studied by Yoshira Imaeda, uh, and it, it is mentioned in some uh, articles as well. Presumably, uh, this text was compiled in Tibetan under the influence of translations uh, from Chinese. Uh, which is attested by its vocabulary, and he, you can see it already in the, in the title uh, of it. Uh, in this versified text, uh, the protagonist uh, tries to gain peace and happiness for his dead father. All of the teachers he visits uh, are unable to help him until he meets Sakyamuni, who gives him the Buddhist idea of, the, of death and praises uh, the Usnishavijaya Dharani as the part of, path to enlightenment. Uh, in a way, it is the text where pre-Buddhist ideas of death and funeral rites meet with Buddhism and uh, uh, Buddhism wins, of course. Amongst the Dunhuang manuscripts, there are nine copies of the text, and all of them are incomplete. Uh, 
And I haven't found any mentioning of uh, some later copies. The Mongolian manuscript Ganjur contains the complete text of the history of the cycle of birth and death. Uh, I have uh, identified it quite recently, so I didn't have enough time to study it properly, but the very fact is very interesting and I think I will publish uh, the Mongolian translation. Then, uh, in the Mongolian Ganjur, we have uh, text included uh, in one or several groups of uh, Tibetan Ganjurs and not in the others. When I met the first example of such a text that belonged, as far as I remember, exclusively to the Tempanma, I thought, well, at least we can identify the group of our possible Tibetan model. But very soon this beautiful idea was destroyed. I won't give you examples here, but there are texts that belong exclusively to Tsalpa Kanjurs or exclusively to Tempangma. Uh, recently I discovered in the Mongolian Kanjur the longer version of uh, one of the Ratnakuta texts, which is included in Gonkla Proto Kanjur, Kukdrak, and several other independent Kanjurs and uh, nowhere else. Uh, the other interesting group uh, of texts is uh, the, the, uh, the texts, the so-called uh, Tengchul texts, that are usually included into the Tanjo. Uh, these texts can be divided into three groups. First, uh, the texts that are present in some Tibetan countries. So this group, for example, belong uh, three texts by Maud Galiana. Uh, all three are absent in the Tsalpa Ganjurs. Uh, and two chapters of the hymn by Matricheta uh, are included in the Mongolian Ganjur as the separate works. In fact, this text is present in the Kodrat and Tavan Ganjurs. Uh, second, uh, oh, sorry, yes. Second, uh, the text to be met with only in the Tanjurs. Uh, so in the Mongolian Ganja, we have Prajnashataka uh, by Nagarjuna and a couple of hymns. Him, uh, one is anonymous and the other is by Simhachavan. And also there's a group of texts uh, uh, that I couldn't identify. Uh, they do not have uh, transcriptions of the Tibetan titles, only the Mongolian, only the titles in Mongolian. Uh, they are marked as Maktal, which means uh, a hymn. So they're usually hymns to Avalokiteshvara, Yumantaka, and Manjushri. Uh, in, the Tanjur in, the, in the Tanjur, there are texts with the similar titles, but none of them is identical to the Mongolian translations. Then, uh, duplications. Uh, in the Mongolian manuscript Tanjur, there's about 100 
pairs of uh, duplications, which is a lot. Most of them are the different translations of the same text included uh, in the different uh, sections of the Gantrum. Maybe some of them are, belong to, to different versions of uh, the Tibetan texts. And finally, uh, some ideas about the possible Tibetan sources of the Mongolian translations can be drawn from the transcription of the Sanskrit and Tibetan titles, translations of Tibetan colophons, and various additions to the texts, such as a number of chapters and shlokas that can be uh, indicated in the end of a text. In a number of cases, Mongolian texts prefer some irregular readings, which agree with none or a limited number of Tibetan gangers. Uh, I'll give you just one example. Uh, one of the Ratnakuta texts in the Mongolian manuscript Ganjur, uh, has the volume Tarchuk uh, uh, for the volumes Chai and Chai, exactly in this order. As you remember, such lists were used in the early stage of the formation of Tibetan canonical collections. And as far as I know, uh, they were discovered only in some volumes in the Newark uh, and Kubrak uh, manuscript Ganjurs, as well as in the Gonkhla proto-Ganjur collections. Of those three collections, only Gonkhla has preserved such gadgets uh, in the Ratnakuta section, volumes Nga and Cha. So collation, collation of the Karchak uh, for the Cha volumes in St. Petersburg manuscript Ganjur and the Gonkla manuscript can be presented as the following table. This is just the first part of it, this is the small part, uh, where similar fragments in the Mongolian and Tibetan texts are marked with red. So you can see that uh, there, well, the Mongolian uh, Garchik seems to be a slightly abridged version of the Tibetan one. So, well, to conclude, uh, the Mongolian Ganjur, uh, and first of all, the Mongolian manuscript Ganjur is a very interesting collection of texts. Some of its uh, peculiarities, of course, can be explained explained by the use of uh, old Mongolian translations uh, that ascend to some rare versions of Tibetan text, uh, which is interesting anyway. Uh, but it is very unlikely that the Mongolian Ganjo was compiled without any Tibetan model. Uh, in fact, that was the main idea to bring, uh, in, in, in the Mongolian language, they use uh, the word which means to invite. So they wanted to invite the Kanjur from enlightened uh, west to uh, unlettered east. That was the idea. Uh, and this uh, probable Tibetan model seems to be very interesting. So maybe the Mongolian uh, Ganjur can help to solve some puzzles and the uh, Tibetan Ganjur studies. Thank you.